Hello and welcome. I'm Jonathan Manheat, and you're listening to another very special to men podcast. This week, we're joined by Ariel Stark Benz, the founder of Mr. Green. Ariel, hello. How's it going? Good. How are you? How's Paris? Paris is good. I just arrived yesterday, so if I sound a bit jet lagged and out of it, and maybe even talk, I talk slow in general. Yeah. So <laughs> if that's exacerbated, my apologies. Just by way of introduction for everyone listening, Ariel is the creative genius behind Mr. Green Life Store. It's possibly the chicest thing to have come out of the cannabis industry yet. And Ariel's design background has seen him reimagine the way in which we think about and consume the green leaves. Described by him as a friendly shop for high-minded people, the store that opened in 2017 in East Los Angeles, the day before 420 no less, has become something of a mecca for weed lovers, providing them with everything they need for the perfect high. Effortlessly cool and totally legal, this week we're sitting down with Ariel to get to grips with the ever-expanding cannabis industry and to understand the modern-day cannabis consumer. Could you tell us a little bit about how you got started with Mr. Green, your your background and how the brand sort of came to be? For sure. Uh, let me also just thank you for the <laughs> glowing introduction. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I rarely ever had that uh, that kind of uh, how would you say sort of lead up. So I'll try to do my best to, to somehow, um, yeah, fall under that um, that praise. So thank you for that. Um, so I guess kind of kicking off, uh, I used to. Uh, well, I've, I've always like worked in design. I studied design. Um, my background is in branding and graphics and um, I guess the, the, you know, sort of foundation is, was already there, I guess, from like a design perspective, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, from a weed perspective, I've, I've definitely always been, you know, a sort of passive consumer. Um, uh, I, you know, always kind of enjoyed this old school, you know, lifestyle and it was very much like built into my childhood as well. Um, growing up in Portland, Oregon and going to school in Eugene, um, those are like huge, famous hippie and like weed enclaves. Um, so, uh, you know, just even like the street that I grew up on, like had tons of head shops and um, things like that. So, um, so that world, you know, that world was sort of like where I came from. And then, you know, the design world was always like what I was interested in, um, but in terms of, uh, you know, in terms of actually kicking off Mr. Green, um, it was an idea that I had had maybe, uh, I guess, probably five years ago now, uh, or maybe a little bit more, maybe six. It's kind of weird to think about. <laughs> um, but uh, I, um, I was working for Ace Hotel at the time um, when I really was kind of getting, you know, when I sort of had that epiphany or, or that real like clear moment of what I wanted to do um, and it made sense that I was there because um, that was the I've actually worked for them off and on for almost you know more than a decade or something around those you know around that time um, and uh, yeah so my, my you know my last role with them was developing um, shop products and um, and kind of building, you know, 
narratives around products and you know the corresponding launches and marketing efforts um, to kind of you know help inform uh, the hotel and the various properties um, you know when you can tie specific product to you know a narrative in a city and um, and even like the, the concept of travel or hospitality mm. so um, I, I guess you know what, what was obvious was I, I think I was kind of looking for my next move, so to speak. And, um, and I remember very clearly, uh, on the, like in, in front of a desk of one of my colleagues, there was a, a risograph print of a woman who, you know, it was clearly something from, you know, the sixties or the seventies, but a, a, it was a naked woman holding a bale of, of pot. And, um, you know, I guess compared to all of the sort of messaging or, you know, the, the kind of like typical, you know, weed stuff that I'd seen, you know, there was like a lot of like sort of babes with weed, like that kind of a thing, um, sort of like this, you know, not really like designed or I don't know, there's this, you know, it's just a sort of cheesy, you know, image, mm. um, and this was like, uh, it was, this was the opposite. It was not sexualized, you know, it, it was, it was just a more of a, a moment of like innocence and, you know, clearly uh, from another time. And I remember really remarking on that image and loving it, you know, and being like, why, what, you know, why doesn't like the, the sort of contemporary weed world celebrate imagery and, you know, sort of this feeling, um, uh, like, you know, when, when it was so, so built into the culture at one point. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was, you know, that was sort of like some early thoughts that I had on that side. That was a pretty long, uh, tribe. <laughs> and I mean, like there've been so many changes since then in terms of the way, like in society and legislation, this is a culture with our attitudes towards, towards weed and cannabis culture itself. How, how do you think that that culture, even though it's shifted so much over the years, has shaped you as a person? Obviously, it's had a huge impact on your brand and your entire career, but just, like, on you personally, what's the impact been? Well, um, well, there's, there's definitely been a huge impact, you know, for me directly, again, just sort of based in um, my, my sort of cultural learning <laughs> in general in, in Oregon. Uh, you know, the, the more, you know, recent, you know, as in like the, you know, 60s, 70s, you know, of, of, uh, you know, history of Oregon was that it was really like a, you know, looked at as almost like a, a escape or a utopia of some sort for people who wanted to, you know, be around other sort of like-minded people. And that was, you know definitely like sort of on a progressive or like hippie kind of level. And that's, you know, that, that's why like my parents, for example, uh, uprooted from Indiana and then Chicago and, uh, and traveled West, so to speak. Mm. So, um, so I guess, you know, it's not specifically tied to weed necessarily, but it's, uh, 
obviously like a kind of a classic, you know, part of, you know, that hip, the hip, you know, the hippie world or, you know, counterculture movements, yeah. you know, beats and all of these, you know, sort of like, uh, uh, abstract or, you know, sort of progressive thinking like cultures, you know, weed seemed to be like a, a really prevalent part of that. So the fact that I was sort of, you know, brought up in this, I, I guess like, I don't know how to describe it. Like all those movements have kind of, you know, died so to speak, and were being sort of played out in in terms of you know less interesting ways. Um, not not necessarily through like less interesting people. You know, just everybody had kind of grown up and had families and were uh, you know more worried about putting food on the table and that kind of a thing. Yeah. But you know, when it comes to like directly weed and you know i just always think of these like funny like head shops and like you know people with um with uh i don't know like bumper stickers on their uh vw bugs and things like that you know um which is sort of like was almost cliche and emblematic of you know this you know where where weed sort of ended up so to speak yeah and uh and i guess it's just one of those things where again to kind of take back to where I, I, you know, was in, in the office at, um, at Atelier Ace, uh, I was looking, you know, at obviously like all of the, you know, as you mentioned, legislation changes, you know, just basically like society sort of reopening itself in a very public way to the plant Mm -hmm. and, um, looking at legalization as, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, as, as a, a major cultural disruptor, so yeah. to speak. It's an opportunity for the brand as well, or yeah. the brand to exist, I guess. Well, I guess I, just in general, you know, as a precursor, I was I was looking, you know, for my, you know, quote-unquote, like, you know, way to connect with this whole thing. I didn't necessarily think that I wanted to start anything initially. I was just very curious. And the main, the main thing was that I was getting an itch, which was if all of this kind of like stuff is happening, why isn't there anything that really like speaks to me personally, you know? And I was looking for like almost anything like, you know, a a cool pipe or like even like, you know, some branded, like some branded weed itself, you know, I couldn't, I really couldn't find anything that remotely, you know, I I felt a a connection with. And so that was, that was when I, that, that was sort of the epiphany, right? Because I was like, I can't even find this. So, and I, you know, I, I feel like I, I know where to look in a lot of cases. So that was my opportunity was like, okay, there's probably a lot of people sort of like me that, um, you know, my, my weed, excuse me, my world, <laughs> my, my world is not dominated by weed necessarily. Um, but it, uh, in terms of like, I don't know how to like, how do I even say this? Like, pretty much, you know, now it obviously is. Uh, but at the, at the time, that notion of taking it into much more of like a common place mm-hmm. um, just didn't seem possible without you know, really forging like a much more you know, like my my personal connection to it was really just sort of like it'd be like a nighttime ritual and, and, um, and, but it wasn't really like anything I talked about so much with like friends and, and, you know, at length, you know, um, 
I guess, because there just wasn't that much to necessarily discuss. You know, I lived in New York, and you, when you bought weed, you just bought weed. <laughs> there wasn't, you know, there were like two names for it, weed or sour diesel, and that was like pretty much it. Yeah. And um, and I always thought the name Sour Diesel was kind of like a like a weird, funny name um, <laughs> to even call something that you were like considering smoking. Yeah. Um, is that quite an old fashioned name? Like, is that? Yeah, yeah. No, it, it totally is, and you know, it, it, it's kind of like a you know, it, it's ref- it's referring to the the smell of the the pot in general. Mm. Um, and sour diesel, sort of the, the the classic weed, and you know, in New York, because it's uh, it's like a hybrid sativa, you know, and, yeah. and it just keeps you really, um, it, it basically just keeps you very uh, alive, and you're able to you're able to work on it, and um, and you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like you know, technically. If, if you're smoking weed, that it's not an upper ever, you know. Mm. In the same way that people describe tequila as like enlivening, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, sour diesel is enlivening, so to speak. Yeah, a very functional high. Yeah, yeah. which I which I don't actually agree with. I don't. I don't I've, never, I've never found myself terribly functional, but yeah. it's it's certainly more of a yeah quote unquote upper, even though technically it's not. Um, than, you know, some of the other stuff that just totally knocks you out. Yeah, it seems like an, an oxymoron, but uh, <laughs> you're into it. Um, with that, I mean, with those old-fashioned aspects of, of the culture and, like, the names and you're touching on those different kind of head stores that there are and um, or were probably used to be more of in Portland, how did you ever think when you were starting out, Mr. Green, in terms of I'm going to make this brand, which is quite oppositional to all those stereotypes that people have about stoner culture or do you have a kind of a certain fondness for those things which is still there because with like hippie shit which is hugely popular um and the name of your fragrance that almost suggests this slight sly affection for the you know those slightly antiquated stores and attitudes towards weed but yeah do you want to leave those all behind or do you kind of like embracing them still no, I, I love that you're asking this question because so much of what I'm doing is actually is embracing that that aspect of, right. of you know of the culture. Um, I love that stuff. I like mm. absolutely love it, and it's so built into my being. Mm. Um, and uh, and you're right. A lot of those places have shut down, and it kind of you know definitely breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, one place in particular was called the third eye shop and um it was actually opened by jack herrera which is uh one of the most famous sort of figureheads in uh he he was known as the emperor for example he opened that shop in portland and my mom used to work next door to it so i like i would wow I, i spent tons of time in there and that was like you know where i could where I guess I learned about things like Art Crumb or like, you know, a bunch of the bands that I would, you know, listen to sort of like later on. Mm. Um, and just in general, like sort of built this, like, you know, it, it was so stereotypical in a way, you know, in terms yeah. of what you, what you think of in terms of a head shop, but like the most stereotypical because it was kind of the best of that era, you know, it was the most em- emblematic of that era. And, um, and it was a, 
I don't know, it was just like a really fantastic place. And, and sadly, it, it, it shut down like uh, almost two years ago. Um, which is so weird because obviously Portland, you know, is, it, it's a, a recreational or like adult use market. Mm. Um, and for whatever reason, you know, people just couldn't get into it. I guess it's maybe, you know, that this whole conversation that we're having is about modernizing, yeah. um, or, you know, maybe not entirely, but, um, but I guess my, my take on it was, you know, if, if, if there was any reason that it did, you know, sort of close down, and I don't think that it, it actually had anything or had as much to do with demand, mm-hmm. um, but maybe there was just sort of some underlying, like, business stuff. I'm not, I'm not specifically sure. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe um, the uh, Jack's son who was running it was maybe just kind of tired, or I'm not really, you know, again... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to make too many assumptions yeah. or, or you know anything like that. But um, a range of but I get it. Yeah, totally. But I I will say that through this sort of like old school thing, you know, I I I've really like brought to life so many ideas. But it was it's very much on my own terms, you know. So it's ex, it's extremely personal. But at the same time, it's like you know you mentioned hippie shit. Mm-hmm. The name, the name in itself, is a absolute like personal reference to honestly my parents and like all of the things in in the house that I grew up in, <laughs> um, because that was like the best sort of description for it. You know, yeah. um, the fragrance doesn't actually, you know, it, 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 it isn't isn't true to the name in so much that it smells like shit, uh, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, so it's, it, it was built off of, um, built, uh, like, the, the idea that it's supposed to smell like burnt Palo Santo. Mm-hmm. That was the, the inspiration behind it. And um, and that's, you know, obviously, like, sort of related to, yeah, kind of hippie shit. Yeah. Or a new age, you know, type of, like, thing, you know, like, smudge stick, like, kind of... Um, Burnt sage, like the, all the, all of those types of you know things. Yeah, that, having, that's where it really, really it's back, I guess, is the main thing. Yeah, <laughs> and those things are really having like it seems a revival. I guess I feel like you can't move now for people like recommending you burnt sage or Palo Santo sticks, as you say. Like it's kind of coming back into I don't know people's consciousness again. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, uh, I, I would definitely say that. Um, in terms of where, like, what our timing is or, or whatever, it's, it's been pretty good in terms of, you know, uh, landing in uh, a little bit of a, a, a moment where, you know, people are <laughs> talking about this kind of, like, stuff all the time, it seems like, or you can go to, you know, like, a boutique, like, your fa- you know, your favorite, like, whatever, yeah. like, boutique in your, in your city or town, and they're selling Palo Santo sticks for, you know, $3 a piece or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, do you think, like, those attitudes that are changing with the disappearance of the emperor and all those things that, that have been happening, not just in Oregon, I guess, but across the states, have you, did you consciously go towards making this degree with your design background and from the kind of Ace Hotel aesthetic and all those things with an idea of, like, I'm going to alter the way people view and maybe consume weed or was, or was it not as like ambitious as that to begin with? No, I mean, 
maybe this is the first time that I'm sort of on the record saying it, but yeah. that that was super ambitious. Mm-hmm. You know, that was the am- that was the ambition. Um, I I feel like uh, uh, just this world has been quite you know, sort of one note and stereotypical, and that's not necessarily a, you know, something to look down on. I just wanted to solve the, you know, issue that I was having in that I wanted to make it more personally relatable to myself. Um, Now, in doing so, I definitely had to, I had to take some of those elements and sort of, you know, remix them or, you know, something along those lines, but they all exist there. You know, if you look at the, I call the, the, my sort of logo, the trifecta, because, you know, there's, there's three elements in it. And, um, one element is, has, you know, specifically tied to, you know, minimalist, or minimalism in, in design itself. And that, mm-hmm. you know, refers to the hand, for example, Mr. Green Life Store is the center, you know, piece, which obviously, that's the store (laughs) and and then the and then the peace sign aspect you know which is was was a uh inspired by this um basically counterculture publisher who would make uh you know would publish zine like these small you know paper bound zines um on how to grow weed or how to you know find or forage mushrooms you know all of these types Mm -hmm. of things you know that that's like built into the brand so that is supposed to infer everything that sort of has come before and counterculture movements and hippies and, you know, and even the head shops that I grew up around in the late eighties and early nineties, you know? Um, so, uh, but, but the idea for me was that, um, you know, of all of those elements, you know, in order to sort of make this brand, one couldn't exist with, you know, without the other, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, and I'm I don't know I'm I'm really like I'm happy that people seem to like it. Um, there's so much like I don't know. As serious as I am, and again as ambitious as I am about this being like something that maybe has a, a larger effect on you know this culture in general. I mean, um, the, the, I don't want to take myself too seriously. I'm I'm a pretty like <laughs> like a pretty silly guy uh, and that's why you know I, I also have these like really sort of you know cheesy like things on there like the bomb water mug and yeah. and um and Nalgene you know because I like love that kind of a thing you know those things they make so much sense to me and that's why like I design things like that totally. because um they're they're sort of everyday products but they're things that like make you smile and sort of like I don't know, just sort of bring out, bring a little bit more color into the world. Um, and, uh, and so I want to always continue to, you know, not like let some sort of like austere, like minimalism take over, so to speak. Um, these things should all sort of be, you know, like light in a sense, you know, but at the same time, you know, my, my reference points are always like pretty, I don't know, pretty specific. Mm. Um, and there is a lot of like thought that that goes into things, but um, but you know at the same time you got to kind of go with your gut, so to speak, which actually doesn't mean anything at all. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to I don't want to pretend like it is, but I guess what I'm trying to say is based on my own 
experiences in the world and you know my sort of instinct my instincts tell me to do things a certain way and I can't ever you know ignore that or not be sort of true to that so yeah. um, I'm really happy and, and thankful for like the support that I've gotten on on that level because so much of this stuff really is like as silly as it is it's like quite personal you know and uh, and I, I'm glad that it's been embraced for even how like silly it is <laughs> yeah. well I think like a, a lot of the time people I suppose with design like a brand you're just acting on instinct and what you like and like it's your personal aesthetic and I think obviously in an interview or a podcast you're you know you have to theorize and like uh intellectualize the whole thing but it sounds like a lot of it has kind of been a pretty instinctual and as you say like going with your gut sort of process um which is how these things are born a lot of the time I guess well I I, I think that's you know maybe that's definitely how they're born mm. but i guess the next sort of like this this you know as, as we continue to grow and that kind of a thing and you know we're, we're super small and um really you know at the moment but i'm i'm very curious to see if we can make this into something a little bit bigger yeah. um but uh but i think that that's also where things kind of tend to go wrong right is when you how do you make something bigger and you're still kind of quote you know kind of going from the gut so to speak right mm-hmm. um uh your gut is not your is not your brain and so how can you teach people to you know only in like the most fortuitous or like perfect scenarios do you are, you know meet people who that you, you know you can work with or who can sort of support that you know, um, in the truest sense. I mean, it's so rare. So I guess we'll, you know, I'll see how that kind of goes. <laughs> Do you guys, I mean, have you had a, since the beginning, a, a target consumer customer in mind? Is that, do you think that's changed since the brand's grown quite a lot? Like, it surprised you who has embraced it, people even outside of cannabis culture? Yeah, um, I... I certainly had like an idealized customer, so to speak. Um, but you know, that wasn't necessarily like a, that's not a big driving factor for me. You know, um, uh, you know, we're not trying to be like a, like a cool brand quote unquote. Um, so, you know, I guess it's, I guess the most important thing is just to always develop products that are sort of, again, like, the most true to to yourself or like true to the brand and the, and the ideals behind it. And then hypothetically the right, the, you know, quote unquote, like right people, um, are interested, you know, that that's kind of how I, I've always looked at it. Um, but that being said, you know, I, I, I'm not sure who those, those right people are for me necessarily. Um, but it, it I don't know. It, it's interesting. Like, um, in the shop, you know, I, I sort of take a lot of, you know, mental notes on the, the types of people that come through and and the the ones that, you know, this stuff seems to resonate with the most. Mm. And um, and it really is like a range of, of folks, you know. We get like, you know, 40-plus-year-old dads come through. We get like younger, younger women who, you know, from, I don't know, Korea, Japan, uh, you know, all, all, all these like different sort of 
far-flung places like seem to be you know quite interested um the other day i was i was kind of like thinking um uh you know who who is like the sort of consumer and and have at this point you know is it is it dominated by like you know one um sort of binary like the you know sort of sex so to speak mm-hmm. i you know <laughs> even saying that in this day and age sounds like really antiquated um so i'm obviously not uh disavowing um the whole you know spectrum so to speak um but in in a sort of quote-unquote traditional binary system mm-hmm. um i have noticed that i i'm still it's almost split between men and women and the i would say the average age of people that come through and and um support the brand are are probably about 28 or something like that so like later 20s and you know i guess people have a little bit more spending power at that age and i'm happy i'm happy that they're interested in and again like supporting the brand or like find like a a kinship with it yeah um would you but it's oh sorry no no god Oh, I was just going to say just just that uh, it, it really is surprising to me how broad the spectrum is, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me happy. And, and also, like, you know, I get a fair amount of the types of, like, you know, almost like stereotypical, like, head shop consumers as well. And that makes me super happy. <laughs> so you can spot them. I mean, you know, there's like there's a certain there's a certain like look and personality. I guess what I'm yeah. trying to say is like, you know, we're definitely embraced by this sort of you know quote unquote stoner community, and that's not um, I don't know. It, it, I hate to say that word because I don't I don't actually like really I don't believe that it's true. But I, I guess what I'm trying to say is like there's you know when it comes to this shop being like effectively for a core, mm. you know, consumer, we've, we've definitely been very successful and, and people almost feel, uh, vindicated in a way. Um, somebody, uh, asked me what I thought of the word stoner actually in an, um, in a, in a different interview. And I, um, I guess what I, uh, should touch on now that I've mentioned that word in the first place is that mm. I don't, I don't really think it exists because, you know, many of the sort of myths about, um, you know, overuse of, of pot have been debunked, you know, at this point. And, um, and the, this notion of like a, you know, a, a, a teenage stoner who's like got nothing going on or like living in his like parents' basement or something like that, you know, that, that sort of image, I, I think isn't even true either. I, I consider that to be actually like a, a situation where that's probably like somebody who needs, you know, help in general and, and finds, you know, using pot as a means of escape or something like that. But that has nothing to do with, a, 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 you know, quote unquote, like personality type that's been built around um, weed itself. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up yeah. really good side note style. <laughs> and it's, I guess everyone's, attitudes towards them have changed so much and that is visible to the extent like the broad spectrum of people visiting the store now because maybe 30 40 years ago it was such a cliched notion of who this i guess quote unquote stoner community was but now it's not really a community it's you know extended to every, the general public everyone. now yeah exactly <laughs> um, do you think 
it's going to like move move further and further away from being viewed as a the subculture and i mean fast forward to 10 years time how what do you think the industry would look like and what ideally would mr green look like in the future well i can't necessarily predict you know what's going to happen with us in particular but i of course hope that if we're still around that um that we have built a or, or managed to connect with you know a, a good amount of you know people that can kind of keep us sustained and and you know per, i guess progressive is the main thing you know because that's the idea is that you want to kind of grow and and keep um keep yourself relatable for people in general um and i think i mean I made a prediction or actually I made a bet with somebody that in, in 10 years, um, weed will be legal, you know, in some degree, uh, in Japan where right now it's, you know, one of the most like, uh, how would you say like, it, it, it's one of the highest, you know, criminalized offenses that you can, you know, if, if you have a joint in, you know, if you get caught with a joint in Japan, you know, that could be like a, a two year sentence, you know, right off the bat. There's a really awesome documentary that's coming out, um, you know, sort of publicly called uh, Weed the People. <laughs> the, the title's a little bit funny to me, but um, especially considering the sort of content, you know, that, they, that, they've, um, that they're exposing. Um, one of the things that I think struck me was there was a mention in the film about how, you know, on a very, very simple level, you know, this plant has been used as a medicine for something like, you know, a thousand years. I, I can't remember the exact figure, you know. Mm. Um, but over this millennial, or the, excuse me, millennium of, of time, um, only in the last 70 years has it been illegal. And it all started in, in the U.S., um, I think that uh, if you know that's being undone, I think that it will continue to the trend will sort of continue where it becomes more legal and more widely used and accepted. And um, uh, yeah, it, I, I think in ten years it's not even going to really be that. There's not going to be really a discussion about it. This you know this way this this thing that we're discussing at the moment is going to kind of be you know a sort of uh, afterthought and kind of a laughable, you know, reality that we were even, like, discussing, uh, you know, the sort of legal parameters and um, and just the, the public view on things. It's just going to be so different. Yeah. And, that, I mean, a lot of that those attitudes were, um, became so, I suppose, codified and stuck in their ways and conservative over the course of the... 20th century and there's this you can kind of delineate those changes from even like things that you're selling in your store I suppose that you have those vintage high life magazines and those just kind yeah. of, which are great and seem like they are from a different time the, the prevailing attitudes towards weed were so different to what we have now um, and even in that short space of a few decades cannabis culture has just become something else entirely do you how do you feel having grown up now as opposed to when those magazines are being printed and and what like what do you think of the main changes since then well um so high times was i think 
the first issue was published in 1974, um, which is sort of like, uh, I guess it was right in the, the middle of, you know, uh, it's sort of resurgence, so to speak, like within, you know, uh, or I don't know. I, yeah, it seemed like it was kind of like maybe maybe actually on the tail end of, of its resurgence, um, but also like, uh, you know, on the brink of really, really heavy criminalization mm. um, and tactics that, you know, would uh, jail, you know, a, a large number of people, predominantly people of color, although High Times is a pretty like white magazine. Um, and from my point of view, um, maybe not now, but uh, at the time, it, it really seemed like that. Mm. Um, uh, it, I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's really fascinating to me growing up in this time because I, I, you know, kind of like the internet, so to speak. It's like I remember a time before, um, and and you know that it's just not even. I don't know. I, I find I guess I'm still startled by you know when you walk down a, a busy city street and, you know, there's 25 people in your direct line of vision and everybody's head is down and looking at their cell phones. Yeah. I find, you know, that very startling. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm happy to kind of be living in this, in this moment because I think that a lot of the, um, I don't know, it, it, we're just literally like right in this moment in particular, there's just so much kind of going on, like swirling around this, you know, around the plant and, you know, it's, it's sort of, mm. you know, vocation as a, as a once an illegal drug. And now maybe, you know, some kind of like, is it, you know, like a recreational like thing or is it like a, you know, an important medicine or, yeah. you know, all of these like different sort of discussions are being had around it. Um, and so it's, it's very, it, sorry? Sorry, like trying to define it and what it is really. What it is. Well, I mean, I don't think there's any need to necessarily define it as mm. one thing over the other because there's just so much involved in it. Um, and, and, you know, it's like you can make a T-shirt or you can smoke it or it can, you know, help treat, you know, cancer. You know, there's so many different sort of avenues that you could, you know, focus on. Um but I think that the I think that the main thing is um, I, I I just like that we're seemingly kind of coming out of this this sort of uh, dark period where it was you know looked at as as shameful or poisonous or you know all of these things that are you know really not true and um, you know I'm not necessarily an anarchist but. Um, you know, when, when things are brought to life, you know, where, like, the government was obviously supporting a narrative that was effectively, you know, again, well, it was like a racist narrative. It was jailing people of color. Um, it was, you know, demeaning liberal thought. It was, you know, doing so many so many things to kind of, like, reveal that, that the, the whole impetus behind it was, in a way, about, you know, controlling not not even in a way it was very much about controlling people yeah. um, and, and controlling the masses and sort of subverting you know um different sort of elements of culture at a specific time is is incredibly you know it's infuriating infuriating but um it's a, it's a fascinating you know 
time to be learning those lessons. And again, I'm just more than anything like happy that, you know, the voices that need to be heard at this point seem to be, and, uh, and that real change is happening. Mm. Has it caused recently um, any headaches with expanding the business? I mean, people talk about the problems with scaling a, a business in the early stages and whether it's as a startup or, you know, in being in a particular industry or trying to expand internationally. But has that aspect of, you know, weed essentially still being illegal in central markets like Japan and Korea, like you were saying, um, has that been a problem? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a problem on really, really like a super simple basis. You know, uh, people are at this point very familiar with uh, like Square, which is like a, a payment processing system. Yeah. Um, we got shut off there. Actually, we, I still don't even have the technical reason why they shut us down. Um, but, uh, you know, I can't even get like a proper like, you know, payment processor because of my relation, you know, to, to, to marijuana, cannabis, pot, whatever you want to call it, you know? Mm. Um, so, you know, on a, on a pretty like day to day, like simple basis, like that, those are like huge sort of roadblocks that I have to kind of over, you know, sort of overcome. Um, and then when it comes to, you know, from much more of like a cultural side, um, Japan is my favorite country. I I lived there for six months and, you know, it's my favorite country to visit and experience. And, um, the fact that it's so anti, anti weed in general, um, I mean, that, that's always, that's like, it became like a little bit of a personal mission for me to infiltrate that, you know, from a, a, a cultural perspective. And, you know, I, I realize that I'm an outsider and I'm not trying to be, um, you know, how would you say, like, uh, I'm not trying to colonize anything, you know, with the way that I do business or whatever. Yeah. But I, I think that, you know, especially like when it comes to the creative class, a lot of people definitely use it. Um, but from a, from a cultural standpoint, people are truly afraid of something that, or the, 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 you know, a plant that has actually, um, in no small part, defined Japanese culture, um, especially from, like, a craft standpoint. Um, but even beyond that, um, there's, like, a very famous, uh, uh, like, print uh, design um, that's uh, that's called taima. Taima means hemp um, in in Japanese, um, but it's this print pattern that you see everywhere on every like every type of like you know garment and blanket and you know uh, in paintings like so many you know this this a limitless uh, sort of um, appearance and, and really really old school Japanese culture mm. um, uh, as well as contemporary and it's something that's totally outlawed and, and viewed as as dangerous which is such a funny juxtaposition or, or just paradox you know overall um, because uh, yeah it, it's sort of already been built into the culture and so I guess you know I don't view this as necessarily a responsibility, but it's an interest of mine to, yeah, to kind of, you know, seep into the, the subconscious, so to speak, via, you know, 
like using design as like a communication tool or you know using the brand as, as a way to connect with people you know on a, on a I guess a lot of different levels um, so the fact that I'm maybe able to do that in, in Japan on some level and and sort of open people's minds uh, would would I mean that, that notion makes me really you know happy I don't, I don't know if I'm successful in doing that but I definitely have a pretty good you know consumer base from out there um, but that being said, it's really, really hard for me to do business on like a kind of a bigger level or like a bigger scale because most of the, you know, like sort of famous shops out there like um, Beams or uh, United Arrows, like that kind of a thing, you know, they're, they're all publicly traded companies and they do not want to be associated, you know, mm. with that. Would you say that that was what's next for you and and the brand is that trying to expand and maybe attempt to alter the mindset of or you know influence in a positive way the way people view cannabis in, in countries and like different cultures or are you more looking to for growth in the states over the next few years? Um, I mean, I guess I guess both. Um... I, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty avid traveler and I'm very interested in all types of places. Mm. Um, you know, the U S is going to happen and kind of like roll out naturally because I'm based in Los Angeles and, um, and I'm obviously, you know, interested in, and, you know, growing the, the brand like locally, you know, as much as it would be great to have it, you know, in other places in the, in the world as well. Um, so I, I don't necessarily have a you know specific answer to that. There's definitely much more of an opportunity for me to grow in a in a much deeper and um, and I guess expansive and complex sort of manner in the U.S. So I'm, yeah, I mean day to day I'm very focused on that, and okay. you know when it comes to international stuff, it, it, it really kind of more comes down to uh, you know the people that we you know sell to in, in other countries. Well, I think to end with, we have some quick five questions. These are just five to seven questions with a pretty rapid answer required, all about cannabis and the cannabis leaf. Cool. Um, (laughs) First and foremost, what is cannabis? Uh, Well, cannabis is such a funny, it's a funny word because it actually describes uh, all aspects of the cannabis plant. So when you think of you know, smoking, that's actually marijuana, right? Yeah. That's, that's one part. Cannabis is, um, could also be defined, you know, as hemp, you know, something used as a textile, you know, so, it, 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 you know, it, it's not one singular thing. So when people, I don't know, I don't think I've ever, well, I mean, I've definitely heard people say they smoke cannabis, but that's such a weird, I don't know, like, it, it, it always strikes me as very, like, funny and, like, clinical sounding um and also not very uh descriptive (laughs) yeah it's like a parent trying to get down with the kids but not quite yeah but it's like one of those things where you know if um there's a there's a difference from me saying that i'm you know that we're talking while i'm in paris versus me saying you know 
I'm in France, yeah. you know, because if, yeah. if, I, if I said I was in France, like maybe you'd have this imagination that I was like uh, drinking wine somewhere out in the country or yeah. something like that. It's like you know? the baguette somewhere. Yeah, yeah or, you know. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and how do the different strains affect you? That's also a great question. You know, a lot goes into that. Um, and, you know, specifically for me, I mean, I have a pretty consistent experience, you know, if, if I'm smoking a, a really heavy indica, it's going to put me, you know, it's going to put me sort of down. And if I smoke a sativa, I, I, I think my, my, you know, my mind tends to wander and speed up, so to speak. Um, but, uh, I, I guess, you know, in terms of, I don't know if that's, how does it affect me? I mean, I, I always get high. <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and depending on my mood, I'll probably choose one or the other. Yeah. Um, but in general, actually, I've been, I've, I don't know, I've been enjoying more of a indica dominant hybrid, mm-hmm. you know, for my, my, uh, how would you say, uh, my more pleasure driven reasons for smoking, mm-hmm. you know? And um, what's your secret to the perfect joint? Uh, no big secret. Um, I just, I guess my main thing is I, I just always have to roll one with a crutch. I can't stand like a, a, a loose, like kind of a wet end. <laughs> yeah. I, I need it to be, uh, I need structure in my joint. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, fair enough. Yeah. What? <laughs> What's your preferred slang word for cannabis? I guess we've already touched on this, but, yeah. What's my favorite one? Yeah. Um, oh, there's so many good ones. Uh, I think maybe dro is one of my favorites. Okay. I not dro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just always think of, like, an outcast, you know? And, um, and since they're the sort of, like, coolest dudes that have ever walked on the earth, uh-huh. you know? Their their sort of like choice of, of word for it is uh you know what I guess that I would consider to be the coolest one. <laughs> I think that makes sense. Um, what is what would be the first thing you would say to an anti-legalization protester? Um, if they stumbled into the Mister Green store with a placard and an angry look on their face. I, I think the the main thing is, um, that, and this has happened like a number of times, to be honest with you, uh, we're, we're actually right, you know, we're in the direct vicinity of the Scientology building and they're, they're anti-drugs. So, um, so it's happened quite a bit. I think that the, the main thing I try to do is I always try to listen to people and their complaints mm-hmm. or you know, or their, or the reason for protesting. And then I try to address it, you know, issue by issue. But I, I think that the, the main thing is, is that we've been fed a lot of information for, you know, the better part of the last, you know, 70 years that's been uh, either inaccurate or completely false. And, um, and again, you know, much of the control used um uh or, or rather sorry much of like the how would you say the what sorry i'm like kind of spacing on this on, on the, the, the right word to use this or use this as but much of the 
demonization, criminalization, like all of those things have been about control and about subverting people, you know, and it's never really actually been so much about, you know, the plant at all because, I mean, there should be obvious reasons why, you know, it's so not studied, for example, in the U.S., mm. you know. Um, if you if the government says you can't study something, then how can you ever, you know, prove the benefits of it, you know? Yeah. It sounds like you need to come and bring them in and sit them down over a cup of, like, tea and have a nice, you know, chat. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess the main thing is that I, I certainly like to, you know, uh, people, people have complaints and you know usually if they're coming in to vocalize them they're mm. coming from an emotional place mm. you know so you can't discredit someone's emotions no. um it's just that emotions emotions aren't based in fact so um trying to steer people you know into actually you know getting uh real information is is the most important thing yeah um and it is available you know i i said that it's not been it's not been studied well you know there's been tons of studies you know especially like in places like you know israel is like a, a huge place in spain you know uh where they they actually hold tons of clinical studies mm. but um and and then mainly in the u.s you know it's been disinformation that's perpetuated by you know the the forces that made it criminal in the first place yeah. so keeping that cycle going um yeah yeah totally and i also you know uh, I, I don't know i guess I, I should also mention the fact that you know uh having a, a a position like that on cannabis is potentially you know very dangerous i guess from a cultural perspective as well because mm. you know these are the forces that are used for locking people up, you know, specifically like for perpetuating a, a you know, a, a very like essentially racist control yeah. over, you know, people of color in, in the U S. Mm. Um, and it's, you know, if you want to look at the, 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 the facts when it comes to, you know, the criminalization of, of drugs and who's most effective in which communities, all of that information is there, and it's not white people, for example. Yeah. So, um, so for a white person to uh, to to show up at the store and and make a bunch of claims, like you know, about how they feel about you know the the you know progressive sort of uh, I guess legalization or the discussion in general, and how against it they are. Well, I, I think that you know their basis for that is uh, is. Um, again, much probably more of an emotional response than, you know, something that could be justified through fact. Yeah, so, uh, absolutely. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's a huge topic, but I, even in reading about the situation in America to prepare for this podcast, that, you know, black people are arrested uh, at four times higher rates than that of white people for marijuana possession. And I think when you've got people coming in and protesting who don't understand... Yeah, what else is happening? And just looking at it from this very antiquated perspective, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, but, yeah. and you know, thankfully, uh, <laughs> the majority of of this country, or excuse me, not this one. I'm in France, uh, <laughs> but probably this country too is that they, you know, that it's not it's not viewed as the dangerous drug that it, it once was. Yes. You know, so um, not. 
not that the drug was once dangerous, but the view is that it was dangerous. Yeah, yeah. a difference. Um, the last of the sort of semi-quickfire questions, what is, or do you know, the correct Pantone colour for the cannabis leaf? <laughs> they've decided that there is one. Yeah. Uh, whatever, whatever the colour of last year, was, was it the last year or yeah. is it this year? Greenery? Yeah, last year, greenery, yeah. yeah. Pantone's colour of 2017. Yeah, I can't, I can't remember what that specific Pantone is, but it's some somewhere around, you know, 360, you know, uh, uncoated. <laughs> and what's the most outrageous piece of weed paraphernalia you've ever seen? It could be one in your store, but... Oh, wow. Um, my gosh, that's such a... That's <laughs> such a hard question to answer. Because there's been a lot? I mean, I have, I have a lot of really, really good stuff. Um, that's so hard, sorry. I... I Maybe we can put some on the site, but yeah. I have a lot of good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm like really happy about it. I, I, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, in general, like picking up an old high times from the, you know, from the seventies, even just like going through the, um, the advertisements is like one of the most, like, I don't even know, just jaw dropping experiences just to see what was sort of like talked about and, and being sold you know yeah. it's really I mean it's really really funny and amazing for some reason um, th- this is not even like this has nothing to do with weed but it was in a uh, it was in a high times magazine it was there, there was a couple who had headphones on uh-huh. but all the all the headphones were were um, seashells to cover your ears with <laughs> So for whatever reason that that came that came to me as like one of the most outrageous things that I'd ever seen. Yeah. Like in in my you know sort of you know uh, in terms of referential like you know paraphernalia you know yeah. that ad somehow sticks out in my mind as one of the more ridiculous or outrageous things. Yeah. Those haven't really survived the decades. I don't think the seashell headphones. No, they didn't. I would love to find a pair though. <laughs> I might sell them in the store. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ariel, thank you very much for speaking with us. I'm sorry that's all we have time for this week. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. If you want to find out more about Ariel and Mr. Green, head on over to Shanin now. The link is in the description to this very podcast. Ariel, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. I really appreciate you taking the time with me. And uh, uh, thanks to everybody who's uh, who's lasted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just still with us. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening, and we hope you have a wonderful Shanin.